IPI Freedom Dialogues, Turkey. Join the conversation on the future of quality journalism. Welcome to Freedom Dialogues, brought to you by the International Press Institute, IPI. This is Cansu Çamlıbel. I am the host of uh, this, po- this podcast series for almost two years now. And uh, as the loyal uh, listeners of this podcast uh, would know that we usually focus on uh, the problems of journalism in Turkey, uh, the problems of freedom of expression in Turkey. And uh, we have a lot on our plate. So we never, unfortunately, we never have a dull moment in Turkey uh, in terms of discussing uh, the troubles that journalists go through. Uh, but on the occasion of this year's uh, Press Freedom Day, which was the July 24th, uh, which is a national day, it is apparently very similar to the World Press Freedom Day of May 3rd. That is a global day. We decided that we might actually invite a foreign journalist who is experiencing, who has been experiencing almost the same problems, but at a very at a at a bigger level and uh, we decided to have a russian journalist to tell us what would be a worse situation what would be worse than what we are experiencing in turkey especially at a time of war this is why we have elizaveta osetinskaya i'll say this again because i don't want to pronounce your name wrong elizaveta Uh, we have Elizaveta Osetinskaya uh, with us today. <laughs> Elizaveta, welcome to Freedom Dialogues. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I know that you are somewhere in Turkey uh, because you were forced to leave Russia. You are going to give us your story, why you ended up in Turkey. Uh, I'm not going to disclose uh, your location. And before you go into your story, uh, I want to tell our audience that you are an ac- accomplished journalist of more than 25 years, and you worked uh, for very important publications in Russia uh, in the last 25 years. You started journalism as an energy and oil reporter, and uh, you covered almost every big economic story in Russia since then. And uh, you became one of the youngest uh, editor-in-chiefs in Russia and also probably around the world uh, with Vidamosti. And you stayed in, in that position for more than 10 years. And then you went on and started working for Forbes Russia. And then you uh, came up with a, a, an independent digital publication and you became, uh, your publication became uh, one of the media outlets around the world uh, who joined forces for investigating the Panama Papers. And uh, then you went to the United States, you had a fellowship at Stanford, and you joined forces with an important team of uh, American filmmakers uh, to produce this brilliant documentary uh, named The Agents of Chaos. But please take it from here and add anything that you might want to Uh, in your in your resume, uh, a resume, and also please tell us 
why you can no longer perform journalism in your homeland, in your home country? Uh, first of all, thank you for this um, introduction and uh, your kind remarks. Uh, also, I want to reflect on uh, your words about that situation uh, in for Russian journalists. Uh, journalists has uh, bigger problems. As uh, you know, Tolstoy starts uh, one of his publications, uh, Leo Tolstoy, one of the most famous, maybe world-known Russian writers. He said, uh, all uh, happy families are similar, but uh, all miserable families are miserable differently. <laughs> so this is not a thing about bigger or smaller or higher or stronger. Uh, it's just about uh, a bit different, but um, uh, there are a lot of similarities in all authoritarian and autocrats uh, who want to control uh, free media. So they use maybe uh, wide-ranged um, schemes and uh, instruments to control us, but we still play uh, another game and good trying to do our best to escape on, uh, from this control. And I do the same. Um, also, I wanted a little bit correct you, just I don't want to be bigger than I am. I was editor at Vedemist only for three years, but in all maybe 11 years I spent with this newspaper. Uh, as uh, editor-in-chief, I was, uh, I was working uh, last three years of my career. So... Uh, how I landed in Turkey. Um, it was by chance. Um, when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine in, in February, my company and my media uh, business uh, went was completely crashed and went down uh, because it also produced a huge turmoil in the economy at this moment. And of course, advertisers are the most sensitive people in the world, they um, hided their budgets. Also, uh, I felt uh, that this is insane to produce show about business success and um, positive stories about Russian speaking entrepreneurs. At this time, I just uh, thought this is immoral uh, during the war and when bombs are falling on uh, one people, half of them are speaking Russian. Uh, and bombs are produced by other people who are also speaking Russians. I uh, felt this is not normal and not okay uh, to continue my show. Also, we lost, of course, uh, and we had to change the uh, narrative completely. Also, The Bell, our online publication, uh, which has newsletter, website, telegram channel, also changed narrative and switched from covering all economic news on the particular consequences uh, of the war for Russian people, because we, we want people clearly understand the consequences that this aggression uh, might have. And uh, they need to understand, in my view, um, the reasons why um, they actually uh, economic life uh, became uh, less diverse. Also, we wanted to explain the consequences of sanctions and the reasons behind sanctions for Russian people. So that was the major focus of our work. Also, we had some uh, commercial and uh, business turmoils caused by uh, shrinking 
of ads market. So I was completely focused on that. And frankly speaking, I was not planning that crisis management uh, because I was at this moment, I was on maternity leave <laughs> and I wanted to spend relaxed maternity leave at least for three, four months. Instead of that, I had to work even harder than before and in completely unknown situation. So, and it was uh, stressful and uh, shocking. But then in early April, uh, another thing happened. And I was called by the Russian government as a foreign agent. Uh, this is a relatively new status for the Russian, which Russian government so-called, in quotes, uh, grants journalists whom... Um, the Russian government doesn't like particularly. So, uh, and there are only maybe less than up to 200 people in the whole country granted by this status, but it's completely discriminating. Uh, so you can't do certain work uh, in the country. For example, you can't work for the state if you like. I, I, don't, I don't think I would ever... Also, you have to publish uh, the sources of your income and sources and, and how you spend them uh, because they suppose that you have a lot of uh, international funding behind you. It's formulated in the way where any, even $100, even $1 is enough to call you a foreign agent. Also, on if on top of this, you uh, make certain public statements. I do public statements because I have a relatively large social media. So on our YouTube channel, we have um, 370,000 subscribers and I have kind of a couple of dozen subscribers on Facebook. By the way, Facebook also was called extremist organization in Russia. It also happened after uh, 24th of February. Many weird thing, things happen. And um, when I was called foreign agent, I realized that I uh, that situation came completely out of control. And I, need, I, I just can't risk um, uh, by my family. So I have to leave and I need to go to somewhere. And since, um, well, theoretically, I could go to the United States, uh, but uh, it's too far uh, from the bell, which still covers Russia. And also, it's uh, it's not very affordable for media that lost maybe 80, maybe 70% of revenue. So I decided to move to the closer and easiest location uh, uh, which I could pick. And uh, I'm very grateful uh, to Turkish people and to Turkey that uh, I could make this. And um, uh, now I'm maybe on, uh, uh, on the end of this... Uh, Transformation period. So I, I plan to go to Europe in uh, next month. Uh, so we we were able to organize uh, like residential uh, permit in one of the Europe European countries. So we plan to go there and continue my work uh, as much as I can. Uh, doing still doing it with the uh, sort of maternity leave. <laughs> so that's that, that's the story. Uh, well, uh, that's uh, a sad, but also very uh, courageous story. There is something that needed to be uh, explained in further mm -hmm. detail, and that's uh, this foreign agent law of Russia, because it is a piece of legislation which serves as an example of autocratic states and how they might actually manipulate laws 
for oppression of free media. And this law, if I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, was has been in place for almost 10 years now. And now, of course, after the invasion of Ukraine uh, back in February, uh, in the last uh, six months, this law has been used extensively, but this has been in, um, in place uh, before. And um, uh, I was checking the IPI records And uh, apparently up until the end of 2021, uh, which is before the the invasion of Ukraine, almost 1,500 journalists were forced to leave Russia because of uh, their journalistic activities. Has started uh, maybe 10, maybe 15 years ago, the process of what? The process of controlling any social uh, protest activism. And I think that the, the turning point was a massive protest uh, of Moscovitz uh, that happened in uh, 2011 after uh, they completely screw elections uh, in uh, Russian parliament where the results were uh, completely misplaced with the fake bulletins. And... Um, Uh, major party won, but in fact, uh, it didn't. And uh, mostly Moscovites uh, went out on the streets and protested. And uh, there were uh, a lot of people from, not only from uh, intelligentsia, so-called intellectuals, so how we call intellectuals, uh, and middle class and upper middle class, but there were some people from business elite and uh, even the government. And uh, then the Kremlin and Putin realized that uh, elite is not on his side. And he was uh, frightened and uh, offensed and, uh, with the, and also didn't believe uh, that people um, acted on their own. So he thought that this all was imposed by the West uh, because uh, in his personality, he doesn't believe in free will of people. He thinks that, and of course, they wanted just to, you know, to offense us, uh, us, I mean, uh, intellectuals and uh, liberal peoples. He wanted to present us as uh, people who are manipulated by, by the West. Uh, but also, I don't think he, he truly believes in our free will and free will of any middle class people who want just uh, another way. He thinks that everything is manipulated by someone and uh, that money runs the world and people, you know, they, they don't have so strong beliefs. Uh, and anyway, uh, on this point, that was a turning point. Uh, in 2012, then uh, Medvedev was kicked out from presidential uh, office and Putin became a president a- again. Uh, he started um, step by step Uh, changed the rules. Uh, First, they kicked out uh, any liberals from state media. Uh, It's a paradox, but state media were very liberal uh, at this time. And there were people, uh, very professional people who ran those organizations. Then he put his attention uh, on internet because before 2012, uh, Kremlin and the government uh, felt that internet is something you know for teenagers and uh, a very narrow 
part of population, then they discovered, no, that internet is, is really important. And uh, uh, they started controlling uh, news flow at uh, the leading Russian search engine, Yandex, uh, who has kind of uh, Google News uh, news flow, the same. Uh, they started, they uh, issued the law that required that only state uh, accredited media could be on the list and then changed another rules. They started this foreign agent law, but only they applied it to social activists. So, and, you know, I think the situation was that they first took one group of uh, social activists, then they took another, they switched to another group of social journalists, then they moved to another group of uh, large private media. Then they moved to another part of small private media, etc., etc. You know, when you when you face machine, machine always needs some work. <laughs> and machine, actually, this state machine of control has worked uh, steadily. Uh, and But it was still, you know, a, a quite, a quite slow process. And I think the war was turning point uh, because people who uh, had to, you know, to stop journalism, basically, uh, they were, they are very uh, diverse. There were a lot of people uh, who you could call relatively loyal to the government or, for example, people who wanted uh, to have a dialogue with the government or people who wanted to communicate to the government, uh, who still thought that uh, better I make some compromise, but instead of this, I will report freely on something else. Uh, I'm talking, for example, of uh, about semi-state radio station Moscow Echo. Uh, but after the war started, it was turned off in one day. It was just uh, stopped. And I was, you know, uh, I grew up with uh, Moscow and I had a special button in my car on this radio device. So I was uh, listening it for maybe 20 years. And uh, uh, one day I, 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 then I realized that I really have like a problem that I have a habit to listen it, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, <laughs> I'm addicted. I can say I'm addicted to this radio station with its free news, subjective news that you can check every 30 minutes and you just don't have it on. Uh, and they put on this button, you, they put Rush RT radio station <laughs> with completely uh, different flow of, it's not information, it's just propaganda. It's very aggressive propaganda. So uh, war, the war changed everything. And um, what was kind of slow, uh, authoritarian uh, regime since 2012 just changed in one day. And um, what probably civil society completely lost in Russia, that instruments that uh, they applied just uh, for a little group of people, uh, in one day was applied to everybody, who, to everybody who has its own voice. It's not just about me. There were, uh, for example, editor-in-chief of this radio station, Echa, uh, Moscow Echa, also was called a foreign agent. And uh, I think he completely lost his mind after that because he just couldn't imagine that it can happen to him. And uh, some other people who are very 
uh, modest uh, and moderate in their reporting. For example, like Alexei Pivovarov, a brilliant reporter who founded his own YouTube channel, who immediately uh, got a very high numbers uh, with views and subscribers. He was kind of very balanced, very reasonable, never openly criticized anybody. He also was called for an agent because uh, completely different people took the power, I think. Or Putin gave, I mean, Putin gave the right to to very right-wing people to make these decisions. The situation you're describing reminds me of uh, a slogan that uh, we hear and we use in uh, protests in Turkey. It's not only about you know, journalism protests, it's about any kind of protest. The protesters often chant this slogan, as long as you keep quiet, your turn will come. So the process that you were talking about, you know, first it was the most vocal critics and now everyone. Uh, so there has to be a reaction to every action of these autocrats. This is what I believe. And there, is, there are lessons to be learned from the Russian case for us, for Turkish journalists. You are also describing a situation where a concept like war, where all the national interest arguments can be mobilized. Uh, this is for the, the security of the country. Uh, this is a time uh, everything else doesn't matter for a, a, for a government. So this is, a, this is one of the, uh, the scariest scenarios for civil society not only for journalists. Problems, these are all universal problems. And of course, these are not uh, unique to Russian journalists or Russian journalism. Uh, but the reason I wanted you to elaborate uh, all mm -hmm. this is that there are lessons to be learned for all of us. And now there are so many journalists, Russian journalists are in exile because of the reasons uh, you described. And there is also a, port, a great deal of journalists, Turkish journalists in exile, especially because uh, after the failed coup attempt in 2016, uh, many people found themselves uh, outside Turkey. Um, what is your advice for activists and journalists who are trying to uh, do their work uh, in exile? Truth is this, that... Uh... Objectively, it's too early for me to um, give some advices. Uh, the only thing, there are a few things, though, uh, that I can already share. Uh, first thing is um, uh, simple. Um, be ready. Uh, what I mean um, is a very practical thing. First of all, be ready to work completely online. Our company was very lucky. Uh, and was very well prepared to this uh, because it was started in the United States. And uh, we st at the very beginning, we had people in Russia. We had people outside of Russia. And our communication was maybe the toughest uh, point for us uh, because it's a huge time zone difference between California and <laughs> Russia. It's uh, 10 to 11 hours in winter. Uh, 10 in summer, and uh, we had the habit to work online. Then uh, pandemic trained us 
even better. <laughs> so we were ready. Uh, but uh, from personal point of view, be ready with your uh, papers. It's important because I know a lot of journalists uh, and uh, I mainly work as a manager. So as a manager, I know that journalists, uh, people who focused on their articles and texts or videos, they're very badly prepared. Keep your papers in order. That's important <laughs> because at some point, sometimes you need to leave and you still need to, to be able to work. Uh, it's very hard for you to work when you need to, you know, to go through chaos. You can't do both things. So th this is, uh, uh, it seems like a, something bureaucratic and not very interesting, but it's important uh, for personal life and right. for work. Uh, then uh, another thing is, it's all um, a question for me. How still, how might we still be helpful for our audience for abroad? Because uh, the problem is that... Um, and for Russian audience, it's, I think it's for Russian journalism, it's uh, number one priority today. Uh, that um, journalists is ex in exile, they live in bubbles. We all live in bubbles now. Uh, for example, in our Facebook bubble, we thought that we are so important for, for Russia that if we all keep silence, that Russia will gone or disappear. But it's not true. Uh, we just lived in our own bubble in Facebook, a bubble of intellectuals. And uh, basically, we, uh, I understand that we reached a very small fraction uh, of Russian population with our values, our information, and so on and so, so forth. Because uh, as journalists, we put a lot of attention on text, on uh, in best case scenario, we put a lot of attention on the way how it is prepared and how it's structured and how it's illustrated. But we never thought about um, infrastructure. Uh, we never thought about uh, how we penetrate, uh, how we reach the audience in, uh, in the maximum diverse way. And um, Unfortunately, this is objective, uh, objective situation, how all journalists in the world operate, because uh, we are not a digital companies uh, with their resources. Uh, we are still media companies with very lack of resourcing. Uh, but today in Russia, we have situation with, that is very hard for us to go through uh, the Russian national uh, internet firewall and to get to the audience. Also, it's important, um, not only from tech side, but also from communication side, to find a per proper tone of voice with which we communicate to the audience. Because, as I said, we live in a bubble. And some things that are obvious for us and uh, we start aggressively communicate to uh, people who stay in Russia, we just don't reach them, we lose them. Because they just, um, so we need to think an, uh, uh, about our audience more and uh, think about their needs and pains and their circumstances rather than about ours and our perceptions and beliefs and 
our prospect of the situation. So keeping in mind how we see the situation, we need to find the proper language uh, to address these two people. And I think it's a top priority for Russian journalism in exile today. I hope it doesn't happen in Turkey the way you experienced since 24th of February. Uh, but this has been really enlightening for me. And I'm sure all our listeners are going to benefit from everything, from your experiences uh, that you talked about. Um, well, I'm, I'm wishing you all the best. Uh, and your daughter. Uh, I hope things get better uh, sooner than uh, we think. And uh, as I said before, uh, I wish you all the best in your journey. If you stay in Turkey or decide to go somewhere else, uh, I hope you will be able to do uh, the kind of journalism uh, you've been doing. And uh, thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts uh, candidly on Freedom Dialogues. Thank you very much for having me and for spending time with me because uh, it's also important for Russian journalists that uh, people are listening and uh, are ready to share their experience with others. Uh, it's very important for us to be listened. And uh, I hope we also have some lessons learned from our situation that we can share. So thank you very much for having me uh, in this podcast. Uh, thank and you. I wish you all, all luck with your situation, which thank is not easy. <laughs> thank you, Elisaveta. Uh, you were on uh, Freedom Dialogues brought to you uh, by the IPI uh, in Vienna. And as always, uh, I'm wishing you all the best. And please stay safe until next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. This podcast was produced with the financial support of the European Union. However, IPI has the sole responsibility of the content. Discussions and views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views of the European Union.